morning. It's good to see you. Hey, welcome to spring. Spring has sprung, and uh, Monday was the first day of spring, and it, you know, it came in, didn't it? Uh, man, that was incredible. Um, we were flying in for you that maybe guess we we've been in London for the past two weeks. We have a, a daughter that's lived there. 11 years, and so we get to go and, and stay with her and see her and everything. So we were coming back. Monday, we were scheduled to land at 6 o'clock. And uh, so, you know, after you've been on a flight for 10 hours, you're thinking, man, I'm ready to get off this thing. And you know Austin's coming, but I knew he had gone past Austin. And he comes on and he says that uh, storms, uh, it'll be at least 40 minutes. So we circle around Central Texas, literally, we uh, circled around Central Texas for an hour and a half before we landed. And uh, little did I know that when we landed, though, that tornadoes would be rocks throw from our house and everything. And so, uh, man, it came in, didn't it? And I love Round Rock, though. Uh, you know, there's, there, there's many things, uh, many crisis centers that, you know, whether ADRN or Samaritan's Purse and all those things, and they're built for crisis. And, uh, but what I love about Round Rock is seeing neighbor, helping neighbor, helping neighbor, and uh, just to see how people are taken care of. And it, it was just incredible. Isn't it, isn't it gracious of God? No lives lost uh, in in that, I mean, that. thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, so just an incredible day of coming in the spring. Uh, uh, there's a picture of us just to make sure we weren't playing hooky. Uh, here we are in uh, uh, we're Oxford. Uh, we are at Oxford. Uh, I always thought Oxford was just one big school, but there's 38 colleges in Oxford and uh, – we got to visit around uh, many of them. We celebrated our 43rd wedding anniversary while we were there as well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's, uh, that's a dinosaur in, in, the, in this day. But uh, 43 years, and then I had a birthday on Friday, so it's just been a big celebration for me. Um, and if you have your Bibles, uh, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 in just a minute. So I'm going to let you find that as I uh, go to the next thing. Um, several months ago now, we Jonathan and Amanda Ryans, who uh, many of you know, were just sitting out there where, where you're sitting. And Jonathan and Amanda just got, got a hold of their heart for the nations, and uh, we commissioned them to go to Japan. You remember, may remember years earlier we commissioned Nathan and Mariah Werner to go to Japan. Nathan and Mariah are now coming back and going to be uh, working, ministering in the in the States. But Jonathan and Amanda ran into, like so many, COVID's thing shut them down. And so they finally, on this Tuesday, are going to get to uh, go to, um, to Japan and start their ministry four years before they will uh, be back, and so this is Jonathan and Amanda, and and uh, we're going to pray over them in just a moment. I want to also, uh, just as we pray, 
pray, you know, the Ukraine situation uh, just continues on. And uh, uh, I don't know if you keep up, but you should be praying. If you're not praying, you should be praying. And uh, we support missionaries in the area who keep us abreast of the refugee situation. I was talking with a pastor friend the other day who um, uh, he goes and he teaches in a seminary in Kiev, and he also teaches in a seminary over in Russia. And I was just asking him about his pastor friends, what they were sensing. And, uh, you know, there was always a unity among the pastors. But what's kind of happened is, paraphrase, the longer this thing goes on, the more frustration is happening among the pastors. And so, uh, you know, uh, the situation is just what it is. And so we want to uh, continue to pray for God. You know, I just believe God stops, uh, stopped armies in the scriptures. He uh, took out leaders. He can still do that today, and but are we willing to ask uh, that? And then uh, before I pray, uh, I want to stop and tell Terry Walker, I love you, and I'm praying for you today, and Jeannie Kitsky uh, also, because they should be tuning in. If they're not, they should feel guilty right now for not tuning in. Terry had a stroke uh, last week, and... and uh, is in rehab, and Jeannie had surgery, and uh, she's home convalescing. So uh, just wanted to tell them I love them and that we pray for them. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we bow before you, holy God, and uh, Lord, we look at our world today, and we see things that seem out of kilter. We, we think about the war in Ukraine, and Lord, we, we read your word. You stopped armies. You took leaders out. You even allowed Nineveh to repent under the preaching of Jonah. Lord, uh, please arise Jonas today to arise uh, different men of peace to proclaim your gospel. And Lord, we pray an end to what is happening there. Father, we lift Jonathan and Amanda to you, Lord. We love them dearly. We uh, pray that you will anoint them, give them your continued presence as they uh, minister in Japan. And Lord, we lift them to you. Father, uh, we pray for our community, and we're so grateful. Lord, that it was just brick and mortar and not lives. And so, Father, we trust you with the uh, cleanup restoration. And, Father, uh, just live Terry and Jeannie and others in our body, Lord, that have been struggling with health. God, we just want to see you heal. And so, Lord, we bring this before you today as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in uh, uh, Acts chapter 1 today. Let me just kind of bring you current real fast. Uh, we're looking at the Apostles' Creed. Not that we're creedal people, but we believe it's a, uh, a truth that encompasses the uh, non-negotiables of our faith. I believe we live in a day of spiritual ignorance. I think people 
uh, we've seen a generation come around that understand a little bit about the cross, understand their need for Jesus, but they don't understand exactly what all they bought into in the non-negotiable. So we're going over those. And so if you've been around, quick recap, we talked about, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We talked about the mightiness of God, yet the intimacy that he is Father. We also began to talk about, we believe in Jesus Christ, uh, the only begotten Son of God, Lord. And we talked about that Jesus was 100% man, yet he was 100% God. Do the math, but that's the truth. And uh, then over the last two weeks, Brett has dealt with the uh, suffering and the crucifixion and the resurrection and, and uh, dealt with that masterfully. And so we, we uh, dealt with that. And then today we're, dis- uh, we're dealing with the next line, which he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the throne of God. So we are going to deal with that. But I want us to go to the book of Acts Chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, and I'm going to read through verse 11. And I want you just to see Luke, who wrote the uh, book of Acts, just to see his uh, picture of what happened. Now, background, uh, maybe you're new to the Bible, new to faith. Jesus had died. He was crucified on a cross. He rose from the dead three days later. Forty days he was on the earth appearing to different uh, groups and different individuals. And then at the 40 days, we pick it up right here. And while staying with them, he being Jesus and he's with his disciples, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So picture the scene that the disciples are there. Jesus is there with them, the resurrected Jesus. And he is there and he begins to speak to them one more time. And then he begins to be lifted up into the heavenly clouds, into the clouds. And uh, the clouds encompass him so he's no longer visible. But you can imagine, good night. You know, I gawk at a hot air balloon, so I'd be, I'd be gawking, you know, to to what is going on. And so, uh, as they're gawking, looking up, gazing, can I still see him? Can I not see him? These two men, these messengers, these angels appear, and they say, "Why are you doing that? You you need to go." He told you what to do, and and so 
they uh, leave from the mount there and they they depart. And uh, so Jesus has now ascended. Now we think, what's the big deal? Why why is that a big deal that he ascended? I mean, he had already rose from the dead. Why do do we need to see this physical manifestation of him and ascending in the have and into the heavenlies? Well, I want you to think about a couple of things. One, it is demonstrated that his earthly ministry had been completed, that he was successful in what he came to do here on earth, and it it, it is finished. And uh, also, it marks the return of his heavenly glory. Uh, It also symbolized his exaltation, and it also showed uh, he had taken up the position of the high priest it also shows that he demonstrated how he will return one day. But the way I look at it is uh, uh, it really showed that he is the ultimate authority. We, we struggled with authority. Um, in fact, our, our nation was kind of built on rebellion towards authority. Uh, and you may be one of those people that you struggle with authority. You You've always struggled with authority. Uh, you've been a little rebellious in that. And some people are that way. But the bottom line is we think we're in charge, don't we? I mean, we think we're the authority. I, I found something uh, that I thought, this is pretty good, and, and uh, uh, I thought I'd share it with you. When Christian Herter was governor of Massachusetts, he was running hard for a second term in office. And one day, after a busy morning chasing votes, he found himself at a church luncheon. And so he's famished, he's tired, they're they're serving barbecue. So he uh, gets in line and he comes up to the barbecue chicken lady who's giving the, the chicken. She gives him a piece and he says, listen, I'm really famished. Um... Can I have another one? She said, no, I've been instructed to give one piece per person. And he said, "Uh, but I am super hungry. Can't you give me another one? She said, I have been instructed to give one piece to every individual. And then he said, he's angry at this point. He says, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this state. And she said, do you know who I am? I am the lady in charge of the chicken. <laughs> so sometimes we think we are mightier than we are. But I want you to know something. It's symbolized in, in Jesus' ascension and what we're going to talk about over the next few moments. He is ultimate authority. He is in charge. We just sang He is the King of all kings. But He is the Lord of all lords. He is the CEO of all CEOs. He's the principal of all principals. He's the president of all presidents. He is the coach of all coaches. He is ultimately in charge. And He is the authority. And His ascension into heaven shows that He completed the task. And we will talk more about that in just a moment. But what's He doing now? I mean, if He ascended into the heavenlies, and he's no longer within our physical eye view, what's he doing? Well, the Scriptures tell us what he is doing right now. And so I want to share with you some Scriptures. All of these are going to be out of the book of Hebrews, 
we seem to have gone to Hebrews much during this series, but I want to read to you some scriptures out of Hebrews, what Jesus is doing right now. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And I love this next terminology. And the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, get this, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So Hebrews 1, right there, says that He ascended and now He sits at the right hand of the of the God on high, uh, the Father. And we will explain what that means in just a moment. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, we have another passage. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeated, repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, get this, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So once again, in Hebrews, when he ascended, he is sitting down at the right hand of God on high. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is this hall of fame of these great men of faith. But uh, Hebrews 12, we pick it up. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and, note this, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, three different passages all say that when Jesus ascended, he is now sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, what's the big deal of that? The right hand of the throne of God is significant because it symbolizes authority, it symbolizes power, it symbolizes might, and it symbolizes that he's in charge. So, what I'm telling you is that Jesus, once he ascended, and it says that he is seated at the right hand of God, it means that he is in total control. He is total authority. So, he you don't have to wonder... Is he still alive? He's not only still alive, he's in control. And so you need to know that. But what I want to do over the next couple of moments is to kind of let it sink in. You see, we can know these non-negotiables in our head, and we can become fat and sassy because they do not translate into our hearts, into our hands, into our feet, 
into our minds. We need to, to translate into our lives. So I'm going to give you four things that I think are very practical for you to grab hold of as we talk about he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So number one is this. Don't be a cloud gazer. Don't be a cloud gazer. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in Acts chapter 1, we just read that the disciples are watching Jesus ascend into the heavenlies and they're gazing at the clouds. And these two messengers say, don't, don't, don't be gazing anymore. Get to the work that he has, has for you to do. So what does that mean? It means that he, he left his Holy Spirit for us to be spectators. No, to enable us, to empower us to go and serve and to lift him up and to express the good news of Jesus Christ. So he did not save us to be gazing in the clouds, always looking for his return, even though we expect his return. And as, the, the, as rotten as our world gets sometimes, we long for his return, but yet he has saved us and indwelt us to, so he can use us so that others can come to him. You, you hear that? Because I don't think, I, I, I love the fact that Jesus is coming back. But if I'm spending all my time cloud gazing for him to return, I'm not useful for the kingdom. And so we've got to be careful about being cloud gazers. Sam and I grew up in Waco. And Waco has been notorious for uh, spiritual things because Baylor University is, you know, a private Christian college there. But also some weirdos have come through. Isn't it amazing how spirituality and weirdos just go together? Uh, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, the David Koresh thing and, and, and this kind of stuff. And uh, there actually was a building. They've done away with this particular part of it. And there's a school called Vanguard Christian School that meets there now. And they were had nothing to do with this. But there was a group that had figured out the exact time Jesus was going to come back. So they cloistered together in this place. And they had a clock on the floor that was a countdown clock exactly when Jesus uh, would come back. And so didn't happen. So what do they do? They disbanded. They, uh, you know... I mean, what can you do? We miss this, so they disbanded. Uh, in, in, if you've ever spoke in a speech class, or uh, I know Alan speaks a lot. He, he's probably uh, had this. When, when you're speaking and they give you a countdown clock, uh, some of you are saying, man, that would be good. Uh, but a countdown clock, and, and so when, the, when it counts down, you know how much longer you have. And actually... There are certain places that will give you a, a yellow light, a warning, and then a hard stop red light, and, and uh, you count down. But if you're watching the countdown all the time, you miss the importance of what you're there to do. I think sometimes, and listen, I'm, I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I look at wars and rumors of war. I look at things in the heavenlies. I, I look at all these things. I look at, at, at these things, and I read them in the Scripture. So I know that that the last days, uh, however long they may be, I think Christ could return. But listen, if I'm constantly cloud-gazing, though, I'm missing what he called me to do in loving and serving other people. And so 
we got to be careful and don't be cloud gazers. Uh, number two is this. Know that Christ's work on the earth was done. Know that Christ's work on earth was done. When he was on the cross, he gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. Greek word to telestai, it literally means it's paid in full. The debt has been paid. Everything has been reconciled. So when he said that and when he gave his life on the cross, in fact, uh, the, the, Brett dealt deal with this, that the curtain torn in two so that we had access into the pre- very presence of God. And that is what Jesus came to do. And I know we can say, well, Mark, there's still sick people. There's still uh, addicted people. There's still broken people. There's still poor people. There's still uh, destruction. There's still uh, famines. There's still all this stuff. Exactly right. As long as we live on a sin, sinful, broken world, we are going to deal with those things. But still, I want you to know that Jesus completed the work that he was sent to do. Well, what does that mean? Listen, we can, we can pray over cancerous people. We can pray over deaf people, blind people. We can pray over people that uh, his life has fallen apart and in a physical realm. And we can pray over them, and they may receive sight. They can hear. They can walk. They can, the cancer's gone. All those kind of things. I want you to know I'm 100% sure that they will die eventually. So the greatest miracle is not healing this physical body. The greatest miracle is to take dead people and give them life. And that's what Jesus came to do. He did not come to make bad people good. He came to take dead people. And we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin. And he came to take us and give us life. And I want you to know, that was concluded. It is possible for 7 billion people on this planet to come to a knowledge of Christ, a saving, life-filled relationship with Christ, because Jesus completed the work. And thus he sat down. You know, when the work's done, you sit down. And that's what he did. But we got to know that his work on earth was done. Yes, we got a role. He sent his Holy Spirit so we can be proclaimers of the good news and get the good news out. But his work was finished. So, know that Christ's work on earth was done. Number three, know that Jesus is the true king. King, president, one in authority, however you want to look at it. Know that Jesus is the true king. Earthly things may look grim, but we have true hope. Earthly leaders may bully people, but they will stand before him. Earthly trials will afflict us, but we know they are temporary. Earthly endings come by death, but we have one king who is eternal. Earthly philosophies may challenge our thinking, but we have an absolute rock of authority. We've got to know that Jesus is the true king and he is the one in charge. He is not sitting at the right hand of the Father, wringing his hands and saying, oh, what am I going to do with uh, Ukraine and what's going on there, the atrocities there? He's not wringing his hands. He 
he's still in charge. Uh, he he can't say, oh, man, those tornadoes got out of control in Round Rock on Monday. He wasn't wringing his hands. He wasn't sweating thinking, what's going to go on? He He's not looking uh, nervous or anxious. He is authority. He is ultimately in charge. And, and, and maybe I don't understand it sometimes, but I'm willing to submit to him. In Philippians, we, we walked through Philippians, I think, last year. Uh, Philippians 2, there's a section in Philippians 2 that most historical scholars believe it may have been a worship song in the New Testament church. But it starts out about that, that Jesus emptied himself and he became nothing and uh, uh, he took on the form of a bondservant and these kind of things. But it ends, the song ends by saying this, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that he is Lord. That Let me tell you, all men, will stand before Him. All men will stand before Him. He is ultimately in charge. He is the authority. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, I love this particular picture. Um, There's a picture in Isaiah chapter 6. I'll just tell you about it right quick. Isaiah the prophet, uh, King Uzziah, the earthly king, has died. And... Isaiah is taken up in a vision in the throne room of God. And he, he's talking about these uh, creatures that are flying around, these cherubim, uh, flaming ones. And he, st- he said, uh, their earthly throne is empty, but the heavenly throne, throne was full. And, and God was there on his throne. And it says this. It says, his, the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, that's a great line in a song and, and these kind of things. And, and what does it mean? It means his robe is super long. Well, what does that really mean? Is that he, he just has a long robe? Well, part of the tradition, historical tradition, was when a king conquered another king, what he would do is he would cut off the bottom of his robe and he would attach it to his robe. So the longer a robe that a king had, it showed the more that he had conquered, other kings showed his authority. So when I hear that Isaiah is in heaven before the king of all kings, and he says his robe had filled the temple, it means that he has overcome every other authority and king that is possible to come. The last one being death, which the scriptures say. And so we see the king of all kings, and he is the ultimate authority. Last point, right quick, is that know that you have an advocate in heaven or in the presence of God. Know that you have an advocate. And the term advocate literally means one who pleads the cause for another. In other words, if somebody is helping you out and they're they're calling other peoples on your behalf, it, they're an advocate. They, they are pleading your case for another. So, in other words, Jesus is the advocate. It says in 1 John, it says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ the righteous. So, what does that mean? It means that on my own merit, because I am full of sin and I am screwed up and I have uh, the ultimate immoral virus inside of me because of sin, I cannot stand in God's presence on my own merit. I need someone else that can advocate for me. I have a righteous uh, Savior, Jesus Christ, that's willing to stand in the gap for me. I have an advocate. I want to read something to you. Martha Snell Nicholson wrote this. It was in a, 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 a piece she wrote called Treasures. But I want you to hear this. It speaks to me. It says, I sinned. And straightway, post haste, Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God and made a railing accusation there. He said, this soul, this thing of clay and sod has sinned. Tis true that he has named thy name, but I demand his death. For thou hast said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Shall not thy sentence be fulfilled? Is justice dead? Send now this wretched sinner to his doom. What other thing can can a righteous ruler do? And thus he did accuse me day and night, and every word he spoke, O God, was true. Then quickly one rose up from God's right hand, before whose glory angels veiled their eyes. He spoke, Each jot and tittle of the law must be fulfilled. The guilty sinner dies. But wait! Suppose his guilt were all transferred to me and that I paid his penalty. Behold my hands, my side, my feet. One day I was made sin for him and died that he might be presented faultless at thy throne. And Satan fled away. Full well he knew that he could not prevail against such love for every word my dear Lord spoke was true. Listen, I have no merit because God is holy. And, and any, those that sin must die because we are unholy. I have nothing in me in my merit that can I stand before God and say, Oh God, don't you see how my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? Can't you take me in because of that? Oh God, I was a good guy. Look, listen, I am, I have nothing. I have nothing except an advocate in Jesus who took it all on the cross for me. And now, I, because I have placed my faith in Him, I know that He will stand before the Father on my behalf. Isn't that incredible? I mean, listen, if you're in here and you still think you're good enough, you're not good enough. It's not your good works this far and Jesus filled in the gap. Um, Even my good works, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. And so Jesus has to do it completely. All or none. All or none. There was one time, I end with this. There was one time where Jesus was not sitting at the right hand of the Father. There was a guy by the name of Stephen who... in book of Acts. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. And he was one of the first servant, table waiter, deacons, 
whatever you want to call them there. And um, he was in a, a crowded situation that he was put to the task. And he s- stood up in, in Acts chapter 7. He re- just began to recount the scriptures, the Old Testament, and how God delivered all along the way. And then he sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit came. and So he's sharing all these things. Well, these people, mainly a group of men, were to have nothing to do with it. In fact, the scripture said they were grinding their teeth, which means they were just completely livid at him. And they were going to pick up rocks and eventually stone him to death. And Stephen would be the first martyr for his faith. In fact, the word witness in Acts 1, where he says you will be witnesses, it, the word is literally martyr. You will be martyred. But uh, in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 and 55, it says this. Now when they heard these things, when the crowd heard these things out of Stephen, now when they, they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus, get this, standing at the right hand of God. There's times when Jesus stands. And I think He stands because He is ultimately, intimately involved in the lives of all His children. And He saw this one who was going to give His life for Him. And I think his standing was a sign that, welcome home. Welcome home. I think Jesus, we need to understand, is the ultimate authority. But he's watching. He's watching. And he knows. And he's welcoming. Do you know him? I don't mean know about him. I mean, do you know him? Do you, have you come to that point where you've made the great exchange? You've you've taken your sinful life and you've said, God, I've got no merit on my own, but Jesus paid the price for me, and I come and I place my faith in Him because if it's not Him, I got no chance. And Lord, I thank you for that. Is that your prayer today? If that's never been your prayer, my prayer. For you is that that be your prayer today.